The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Most listeners to this show have been to Gettysburg National Military Park at some time in their lives. Some have been many times. Whether you are going for the first visit or your 31st visit, or whether you are far away and just visiting in your imagination, there's a new book about the battlefield without which no visit will ever again be complete. It's The Complete Gettysburg Guide by J. David Pertuzzi, with maps and photographs by today's guest on our show, Stephen Stanley. Join us for a discussion of things you never knew about the Gettysburg Battlefield on Civil War Talk Radio. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Answer the President's call to service. As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a Senior Corps volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion. As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world. It's your chance to make it better. Apply online at nationalservice.org. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. But not speaking for the university, it's good to hear that World Talk Radio now has its own legal disclaimer that I cannot be associated with or accused of speaking for them and uh, educating people on the Civil War on their behalf. That's that's all mine. Uh, but it's not the universities. I don't speak for them. They don't speak for me. And our guest, likewise, will speak for himself today. Well, it's the beginning uh, of another academic year. It has been for almost a month now. We started well before Labor Day this year here at East Carolina. And uh, this past week, in fact, was the week of Labor Day, so Monday was a holiday, and the university, curiously, for the first time that I can recall, decided to make up Monday's classes the following day, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes were held Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Instead of a holiday week, it became a grueling three sets of lectures in four days week. Um, So although I am reeling with intellectual fatigue at this point, uh, late on a Friday afternoon, I'm Happy to be with you to to uh, relax and talk about uh, Civil War history in in our 
uh, hour of, of conversation today. The uh, football season is also underway, the uh, American football season. East Carolina won its first game. And even more important, tomorrow marks the beginning of the uh, fall season for the Greenville Stars. That's the uh, girls' uh, 14 and under soccer team, of which I am the coach, and my younger daughter is a player. Last year, uh, our team went uh, oh, well, no, one one and seven in the fall season, and there were loud calls for the coach to resign. Uh, but nobody wanted the job except me, so I'm still here. So uh, we'll we'll keep you informed on that as the season progresses, uh, as we uh, take the field tomorrow for the first time. But uh, uh, enough of, of that. What we're here to talk about is uh, Civil War history. We have a good season of shows ahead. Uh, some very interesting guests and interesting topics coming up uh, today. Uh, as last week, we'll be talking about that uh, most popular uh, battle of the Civil War in terms of, of public interest, Battle of Gettysburg. But we will not uh, stay in Gettysburg all, all season. Don't worry. We'll be looking at other things uh, in the near future. I had the experience uh, uh, this week, in fact, earlier today, uh, while lining up uh, call uh, future guests for the show, I called the Antietam National Battlefield to see uh, about uh, Ted Alexander, their fine historian, uh, inviting him to be on the show. And the person who answered the phone in the uh, visitor center there recognized me when I introduced myself and asked to speak to the historian, recognized my name from this very show, Civil War Talk Radio, uh, I was nonplussed. Uh, uh, this is this is fame. This is uh, celebrity. Uh, somebody knew who I was from the show without uh, being prompted. Uh, it took a while, but I I got over it. Um, I've hired an agent in the intervening five minutes, and I'm going to make the most of this. But uh, hopefully, uh, I will be able to get in touch with uh, uh, with uh, Ted Alexander at Antietam and with some other. People that we're lining up, and we do have some already, some other folks already on the hook. We'll be talking, among other things, with the uh, director of the Papers of Abraham Lincoln Project this this season, which I'm very much looking forward to, and uh, letting you all know the status of that uh, truly uh, uh, significant archival project in uh, in Lincoln history. Well. Today's guest, uh, uh, Stephen Stanley, is the uh, cartographer and photographer for a new book, The Complete Gettysburg Guide. Stephen, are you there? Yes, I am, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you for uh, being on the show today. Um, I am looking at this book, which uh, uh, Savas Beatty has published. Uh, they published a number of very interesting Civil War titles in the last few years. Uh, and many of them are quite handsome, but this is the most uh, gorgeous of the Civil War books to cross my desk in a, a while. And perhaps more even than the look, it has the new book smell, uh, like when you get in a new car. Um, uh, it's, I guess it might be all the color uh, photographs, the ink uh, or whatever it is, but uh, the it, it's quite a beautiful production, so I just want to start out with that. Uh, let you know I'm, I'm very impressed by it. Well, thank uh, you. Uh, but let me ask uh, uh, your your co-author uh, JD has been on the show before, um, and uh, 
some other names referred to in the acknowledgments are familiar here. Um, how do you fit in with the uh, uh, the crew of people who who produce books like this at uh, at Savage Baby? Actually, this is my first book um, with Savage Baby, and I've done other books for other authors before, just the maps, and never really had any acknowledgments. But this is my first first time with Savage Baby, and really, it's something this big working with J.D. Petruzzi. Now, so you've you've done books and maps before. I, I know uh, you've done maps for uh, America's Civil War, I believe, uh, the magazine. Yes, uh, I do maps with uh, them uh, for the bi-monthly magazine, the uh, battle maps. Do, um, is this something you? Is, is this a full-time thing, or do you have other uh, irons in the fire? No, actually, um, I feel blessed in this. I'm able to take something I really love, the uh, Civil War history. And Mary, with a talent that I have, a graphic design talent and map making, and I do make a full-time living off of just doing uh, graphic design and maps for the Civil War. Really? That, that is uh, yeah. impressive. Um, it, it, it's not that common uh, on, on the show. Frequently I'll talk to authors who uh, have written a book about their, their passion, some, some historical topic, uh, but they have a day job as a, a lawyer, a computer programmer, a doctor, whatever. And, right. Uh, uh, but but you and I, uh, we get to do this all the time. Uh, that, that, that's pretty neat. Yes, yes, it is. I, I do. I tell people I do feel blessed you know, that I can do this. I can study the Civil War and actually make a living off of it. It, it it's not a common thing. I, I will say. I, uh, I I recall when I worked at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the, the uh, late lamented museum. We were in the design process one day, and the architect for the space was walking on a corridor, and he and I were walking side by side. And he just turned to me and said, Jerry, can you believe we get paid for this? Now, he was an architect, and he loved architecture. And I was a historian, and I loved history, and I knew exactly what he meant. And we just, uh, it, it's, it's great when you get to do something that, that you enjoy and, and get paid for it. Um, so how did you come about this? I mean, there, there's no want ad in the paper saying needed Civil War maps. Uh, no. How did um, you get into it? Probably, probably about 10 years ago, give or take, um, I just moved to the Fredericksburg, Virginia area, and by trade I was a graphic designer. And I kind of, one day I went to a, um, a Civil War event in Fredericksburg, and I ran into some uh, the board members for the Central Virginia Battlefields Trust, the local preservation group in Fredericksburg. And we were talking, doing some things, so I joined them. Then I started doing some free work for them because I believed in their cause of saving the, you know, the battlefields around Fredericksburg. And so that, doing some of the free work for me, I got the interest of the National Park Service down in Fredericksburg, and I was approached to do some maps for them. If I would be interested, I'm sorry, in doing some maps for them. And so I took on the challenge, and the first set of maps I worked with Frank O'Reilly from the park, and we did um, the 25-map series of the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse. Huge map. And he did all the research and sent the stuff to me, and I did all the uh, design work for it. So that really started everything, my entire, I guess, career, and getting into the Civil War and just, you know, going from there. Yeah, so so once the door was open, that uh, other other then the people called you and said, "Can you do maps for for my book?" That sort of thing. Yeah, they, yeah, they would they would see the, um, those maps, and that word of mouth got out, and I would get a call from my. I did some work for Richmond uh, National Battlefield Park, 
and other and other smaller parks. And then all of a sudden, you know, my work would be out there, and an author would see it, and they would ask me if I could do some maps for them. And in about 1999, I ran into um, one of the uh, staff members from the Central, I'm sorry, the Civil War Preservation Trust at the time, the Civil War Trust. And but introduced myself. We were talking. I showed her, her some of my my work, and then I about two or three months later got a call to come to their offices in Arlington at the time. And they wanted me to but it could do some help them out for any of the projects. And I showed them one of my maps, and I was. They said, "Well, can you do one for Cross Keys, I, um, Virginia?" So I produced it. They sent it out. It was we looked at it probably been a one-time thing, but the response back for the preservation part was so great that they wanted. You know, they really knew they had to do this all the time. So really, since 1999, I've I've been producing uh, all the battle maps for the Civil War Preservation Trust. So I, I know I get mail from the various preservation groups. So when I get one of those nice maps uh, in a mailing, that might be work that you've done. Yeah, uh, for, for from the Civil War Preservation Trust, yes, I've, I do all their battle maps that go out in the mail and it's about once a month. So uh-huh. Normally, they might send out 12 to 13 maps a year, plus then maps in their magazine. And we're doing other projects with them too. We can. Does any of your work actually show up on battlefields on those those tablets that get mounted in places? Does that ever happen? Yeah. Yes, they do. I mean, um, with the trust itself, I've done some. I um, dabbled a little bit into on wayside uh, or interpreted interpreted panel design. So I've done some of those for them on like McDowell Battlefield, Brandy Station, Virginia, Third Winchester, Virginia. And so my maps do show up on there and some of my design work. But now they've they sort of um, had a formed a partnership with uh, Civil War Trails people. But I do all the maps for the Central uh, for the Civil War Preservation Trust uh, wayside that the Civil War Trails people are producing. So at Fredericksburg, the Slaughter Pen Farm, we just they just put in about ten waysides there, and and all the maps on those on those waysides are mine. You can actually you can tell by looking at them they are my style. Well, that, 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 this is fascinating. So, so you you really have a, a, a sort of fingerprint on uh, uh, people's visual uh, impressions of the Civil War through these, these venues, and and uh, uh, I, I find this very interesting. In terms of were you, were, you, were you trained in graphic design? Did you study this in school, or how did you get? Oh, school and also um, in the I was in the Air Force and I um, went to school for them for graphic design and worked my way up through. I eventually ended up in the uh, the graph um, the Joint Chiefs of Staff Graphics um, Department there in the Pentagon, and then I got out and started working for printing companies and things like that in design. So, and really, it's just more a lot of it's all self-taught. It's you know, the design part itself, and especially the um, the map making. Did you have do you have influences? I mean, are are there other map makers or historical maps that that influence the way you do a map? At a certain point, yes, it is. Um, back when I first started, I was when I um, started doing the work for the uh, National Park Service. They had certain ideas of the way they wanted their maps to look. They had their standards and. Honestly, I did the Spotsylvania Courthouse maps, and if I took them out on the battlefield today, 
you still it's still hard to, you know, to pinpoint exactly where you are on that map because we only use historical references, roads, tree lines, houses, and topography. So if you take that map out there, you're standing on a park road. You can't really tell where you are unless you exactly know, you know, this unit was right here. Because the park roads, if you're, you're familiar with most of that, because the park roads kind of turn you around all the time. Mm-hmm. So after I did that one and I started, um, I was approached to do one for someone else, I started studying other people's maps at the time for the APCWS. I think, I'm not sure the gentleman's name, but he was doing some maps for them. And I liked some of the ideas that he had in his maps because he actually had modern roads in there. They were still too dark for my liking, but he had modern roads and other features. So I kind of looked at that and copied, you know, designs a lot of times is copying of of other people's style at the times. You can probably take it and um, tweak a little bit to make it to your own look. So deciding that... um, when I started doing maps for myself or other people, I wanted to put modern roads on the maps, but not be very prominent. Now, if you notice in the uh, Gettysburg Guide, the, all the park roads are in there, but they're kind of gray in the background a little bit. That gives you an idea. You're standing on this park road. This is where you are then in relationship to the battle around you because you are you know where the roads are. Well, I, I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because you want the, the map to be useful uh, to, mm-hmm. to the modern user. And if it's just a historical map, it, it, as you say, you can't really tell quite where you are. I just pulled a book off my shelf here called The Civil War Battlefield Guide um, from 1990, which uh, was one of the first uh, map, first books of maps, and it used modern uh, topographical maps, then with the, the overlays of unit positions. It really wasn't successful in my view uh, it, it's not something you could use on the field very easily to tell where you are the scale is too small right uh, the, the things are too crowded but uh, it sounds like that was an evolutionary step toward what what you're doing now using maps that show modern features so the visitor can can tell where he or she is yeah uh, i mean and actually i i do have that one i use as a reference once in a while most sometimes it's actually um to help locate a battlefield um, when I do work for the Civil War Preservation Trust, they will ask me to create a map for um, my, one off the top of my head was uh, Natural Bridge, Florida. Mm. Myself, I have never heard of Natural, <laughs> Natural Bridge. Trying, then trying to locate it on a map. And in the time frame, I'm given a week to do a map for them at time. So I would pull other references off my shelf, and that was one of my usual pull to help trying to locate this, this battlefield first. Right. Um, if, if I don't know where it's at, it's kind of hard to convey to the um, general audience, you know, where, where this battle is at, too. And I would guess even the listeners to this show who know a lot would be hard pressed to pinpoint Natural Bridge, Florida, on a map right away. Well, this is fascinating. We'll come back and talk more in just a moment. We're talking today with Stephen Stanley, Civil War map maker. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You may have been to Gettysburg many times, but there are things you may have never seen. We'll talk with our guest, Stephen Stanley, Civil War mapmaker, 
about the unseen sites at Gettysburg when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. It's a wake-up call. It's time to get serious about preparation and to understand that the threat is very real. This is a message from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, recorded by Roger Kilfoyle, New York City firefighter. The topic, getting serious. It's irrelevant where you live or how many people live in your community or other variables like that. It's, it's America. America's the target, not just New York. We know there are some positive things that you can do to better prepare yourself and your family. It's simple steps to prepare yourself for events that may be out of your control. So, you know, having these little supplies together, you can prepare for problems that may happen. Learn to be prepared at www.ready.gov or call for a free brochure. 1-800-BE-READY. That's 1-800-237-3239. A public service message brought to you by the Ad Council. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Stephen Stanley, mapmaker and photographer for The Complete Gettysburg Guide, a new book written by J.D. Petruzzi that describes in uh, uh, sometimes surprising detail uh, some of the things you can see at Gettysburg, at the National Military Park, and off the park grounds as well. Uh, in our first visit, we were in our first uh, section there, we were just discussing the uh, uh, the career of, of uh, a Civil War map maker. Uh, uh, Stephen, as, as I said in the first section, it, it really is remarkable uh, and, and wonderful to be able to make a living doing something that, uh, that you enjoy, in this case, uh, making these maps. There are many people who uh, indulge a Civil War interest as a hobby, uh, as, as a, of, uh, something uh, to do besides the day job, and, and there's of course, nothing wrong with doing that, but it takes a level of commitment to uh, plunge in and say, "This is this is what I do." The uh, the book uh, that, that you have helped produce here, the Complete Gettysburg Guide. How did that uh, uh, come about? Did you uh, get contacted by the publisher to do a Gettysburg book? No, it it was a different type of thing. J.D. has uh, done some wonderful articles for America's Civil War magazine over the years, for, uh, mostly one, uh, Buford and Union Cavalry and Gettysburg. And, again, I do the ma- uh, maps for their um, articles. Yep. Usually I'm just sent an article here to produce a map for it, and then they put it in. With J.D., uh, he actually was more involved in, in that when he sent his article in, you know, him and I would actually go back. So I was introduced to him for the art uh, with this article for the maps, so we went back and forth on the maps to make sure they were um, as accurate as possible. It matches his article, and he was happy with them. So after a couple um, ish, uh, magazines, he, 
articles he had done, you know, we started talking one day. We got become you know better friends and started talking one day about um, about books and actually trying to do something. He you know, he loves doing. His uh, he's already produced two other books before Plenty of Blame and um, One Continuous Fight. And he he always wanted to do a guidebook, and so he approached me with that just himself. And and he said, you know, what would you think about doing um, a book on Gettysburg a guidebook using your maps? And he would say he would write the text for the tour. And I thought it was a great idea because I've always been wanting to have an avenue to showcase my maps more, and you know, do obviously with the Solar Preservation Trust and, and other things. But I still wanted an avenue over my own to, um, to showcase my maps. So he approached me. We started talking about it, and he approached um, his publisher at the time, you know, Ted Savas, Savas Beatty, and sold the idea to him. So from that on, I was um, in in on this project, and it's been wonderful working with JD about it. You know, because without him. This book um, wouldn't have came to uh, fruition, and he he probably says the same thing on my end. But I couldn't have written everything he wrote in here. I mean, I'm not a, an author. I'm not a writer. I'm a, um, I'm I'm a graphics person. I actually am more visual than uh, literary. Well, uh, you know, there are many different ways people learn and different ways people communicate, and and it's useful when people know and recognize where where their skills are too. Um, now. It, it, J.D. Petruzzi, as you mentioned, has written or co-written uh, several books related to the Gettysburg campaign, dealing with the uh, um, uh, Stuart's uh, ride around the Army of the Potomac or the aftermath, uh, but not the, the battle itself. And uh, this book also covers some of the, the events around Gettysburg. It's not just limited to those three days, but you uh, have maps and, and photographs of some of the, uh, the fighting nearby. Now, I guess one question, and you sort of answered this, but let me push it a little differently. Um, the, 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 you can have whole bookstores filled with books on the Battle of Gettysburg, and even among guidebooks, there's, uh, of course, the U.S. Army War College Guide, uh, which uses the words of the soldiers themselves. You don't even have to use a modern writer, um, and gives the, the visitor a... Uh, and as a guidebook, it, it tells you stop by stop where to drive your car, where to get out. Uh, the, the War College Guide, um, I, I practically wore, wore my copy through uh, on various visits there. With that already in print, did it ever seem to you that maybe this wasn't such a good idea, that, that this has already been done? No, we talked, as J.D. and I talked about that, you know, is the market ready for another guidebook on Gettysburg? But looking at all the guidebooks that are on the market, 99% of them probably just stay with the National Park Service boundaries. That one just didn't happen inside the, the nice little boundaries of the Park Service. Um, so we were discussing, no one's actually taking people out to the June 26 skirmishes that happened just days before the battle. No one, you know, we, that, we included that in our tour. You know, we have a whole chapter just on um, the June 26th, up, uh, which is roughly three miles west of Gettysburg at Marsh Creek, and then probably about three or four miles north of uh, Gettysburg as well that after same day. And again, on guidebooks that even um, they don't take you out to the first shot marker for July 1st. They, again, they take you to McPherson Ridge, and then you, they talk about it. But we wanted to take you there. We wanted to 
take um, show what happened out there in the scrim- you know, for the skirmishing, and bring you into town that way, almost following all the the, um, the troops coming in. You know, as, as the battle progressed, we're actually pulling you along uh, with it. So there, there was a lot more in here than really is in other guides too. You know, it's a, I mean, they come out um, all the time, and this is just a totally different one. We wanted to flow a little bit uh, differently. We wanted more maps in it. We wanted more photographs in it to make it more visual. And when we got done um, talking about it and, and laying it all out, our biggest hope was actually we wanted to get people out of their cars on the battlefield. I actually live in Gettysburg, and bike riding around and walking on the battlefield, I don't know how many people I see driving. They'll stop, roll down the window, take a picture, roll the window back up again and drive on. Or in a minivan, I've actually watched them stop, slide the door open, everyone lean out, take a picture, and then move on to the next one. We want people out of their cars with this book walking the battlefield. I I was going to ask how many times you'd visited, but uh, it sounds like you're there every day. So uh, uh, if you live uh, in town, you're, you're very familiar with it, obviously. Yes, yeah, I actually live on um, right on uh, first day fight uh, near the first day fighting um, part of the battlefield. Now, it, it, you mentioned in describing that uh, as an example that there's a, a monument, uh, an artillery monument, that is, I guess, actually on park ground, but it's it's so remote that the Park Service removed the cannon that used to be there uh, because they were so remote they couldn't protect them. Um, mm-hmm. Where is that that monument or that uh, marker? If it's the, I think it's the one you're referring to. It's out here, uh, just past Lee's headquarters. The guns were there, fa- uh, facing. They took those away because they were getting um, damaged. And I have, I'm not sure which if that's, if that's the one you're referring to or not, though. Uh, it, it might be. Then I'm thinking maybe I'm, I'm, uh, some of it's running together. There was another one where you describe how to get there by going into the railroad cut. And, yeah, that, uh, it's down that way, yes. It's near Lee's headquarters, yes. Okay. And that's an example of getting out of your car, because your instructions yeah. tell the visitor, get out of your car, walk along the railroad, watch for trains, don't get run over, uh, right. uh, crawl up the bank, and here you'll find this marker that the average visitor would never see. Yeah, that that is that one, then, yes, I'm, you know, is the one you're referring to. Oh, yeah, so, I mean, it is. Really understand this, the battle, or any of the battles out there, you really need to get onto the ground. That's and one thing that's why preservation is a big um, something big. If we don't if you don't preserve the battlefields, you can't walk them and help understand the battles, and also honor the men. But most people come here when they see pickets, the field of pickets charge. They think it's flat going all the you know, from Virginia Monument over to the high watermark. It's just a flat field to them, but it's not. When you walk it, you definitely know it's not a flat field, and you get the sense how the what the soldiers went through in, in their walk across their march across the. Uh, the field itself. So again, we really encourage people to get out of their cars and um, and use and explore the battlefield. No, there's no substitute for that. I once took a, a class of eighth graders uh, to the battlefield who had, for a class project, they'd made their own unit flag, and I dropped them off at the Virginia Monument. I drove o- around the field back to the high water mark, and while they marched across, reenacting Pickett's Charge uh, with uh, 22 thirteen-year-olds, uh, and uh, as I watched them approach, uh, there were times when not only could I not see them, I couldn't even see their flag. Uh, it absolutely is an undulating field, and 
maps don't show it. Uh, nothing shows it till you get out and walk it and look at it. Uh, right. Right. Uh, so, so really, uh, that's an important service to lure people out. Now, your book, on the other hand, might work the other way of getting people to just put their 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 butts in a armchair and stay there. Because you also have, in addition to the maps, these photographs. Uh, and you were the photographer for this book? Yes, I, I was. Yeah, all the modern photography is, is mine in the book. There, there are a lot of very interesting photos of the battlefield that you've taken then that uh, are not necessarily uh, from July, uh, don't show the battlefield as it was at the, the time, but uh, that show at different times of the year. Uh, why did you decide to, to take that approach? The battlefield, especially Gettysburg, throughout the seasons, it is a very beautiful area itself, not just, you know, because of you know, the battle here and all, but with the monuments and and everything, it changes throughout the year. So at different times of the year, the beauty is, to, is totally different here. I wanted to convey that in here, that you just don't need to visit this place you know, in July. This is what it looks like in the wintertime or the fall or early spring. It is a gorgeous battlefield just to walk around and view the monuments at different times of day and year. And and the photographs really are evocative. They're very attractive. I, I usually go to Gettysburg uh, every year for the Lincoln Forum uh, right around the time of the, the Gettysburg Address, and uh, in my mind's eye, there, there are never any leaves at Gettysburg because I'm always there in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're absolutely right. There's a, 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 it's a very beautiful time in its own way, and... Uh, the same with winter and spring, so these photographs really do bring that out, uh, and and that will uh, help keep, uh, uh, as I said, the visitor, uh, our listeners uh, in, in the United Kingdom, for example, who cannot just get in the car and go to Gettysburg, uh, will at least be able to benefit from these beautiful yeah, photographs was, yeah. in here. Yeah, that was another reason why I wanted we wanted so many photographs in the book. So obviously, our one of our first things in design book, uh, JD and I. Well, what as many maps in here as possible, you know, to help you understand the battle, and obviously the text it was very you know integrated in that, into um, into how it's supposed to look and everything, how the book was going to look and how big it was. And photographs did come almost you know uh, the third part of it because it's just um, you know. It is beautiful. It's we, you know, and we wanted to have this, but they weren't. We didn't have to be as important part. I'm sorry on the, the book itself, but they were so important in it. And so we had to make decisions. There were photographs in here we didn't get to have because we didn't have. We ran out of room. Mm-hmm. We cut photographs out, and actually, we were discussing it once. There was um, the maps. We didn't get to have all the maps in here that we wanted to. All right. If you notice the the maps for uh, my map of the wheat field, I only have I have five maps in there. I still could have gone more maps for the wheat field. Well, there's that's uh, it's always knowing when to what to cut out. Uh, that is a right. challenge in writing and, and and putting any kind of book together. There's never enough space for everything. But uh, I think the photographs really do add a dimension. Uh, you have some uh, occasional period photographs or illustrations, but not. A huge number, which again I would argue is a strength, because uh, uh, there are some familiar photographs of the battle that everybody has seen many times and, and don't necessarily need to see again here. But let me ask you about some things that people don't see. Um, you've got a whole section on rock carvings at Gettysburg. Uh, I I had no idea what this was even about. Tell, tell us about 
these rock carvings. Yes, yeah, that definitely was um, was JD's brainchild right there. He's actually you know, he we needed to do this because again, that's an unseen part of Gettysburg. You know, really, um, those uh, rock carvings, the information about them, if you look carefully on the internet or others, you can find them throughout by searching. But he said we really need to have this in there because it said. You know, people want to know about rock carvings, or they want to know about the other the other battles and all around it. But they really wasn't a one source, so he wanted to have that in there. So it really was you know, was up to is his. So him and I spent a couple of days just going the battlefield. He showed me all the rock carvings. I'm trying to get good photographs of what we're trying to with GPS in it at the time. So I mean, to our to the listeners, just you know different things on this battlefield. People didn't even realize there's a dinosaur footprint on the battlefield. We we actually will take you to that dinosaur footprint. <laughs> that that I thought was interesting, the fossil fossilized dinosaur footprint. Uh mm-hmm. but the the carvings, just say that for a minute. The, these are examples where soldiers carve something either at the time of the battle or after the battle when they came back to visit and left what initials or unit names or, or initials kind of- there's a few in there. There are actually some some more initials, and and actually one on top of a little round top, you know, it was probably one of the first monuments itself um, on the battlefield. There are rock carving up there, um, but also down in um, Weikard Farm, there was a for we have one for the um, a DS stone for DA one forty PV DA. That was actually a marker for a grave. So he was, this soldier was buried right there in front of uh, the stone. They carved his name into it so someone could come back and find him later. His father did, but the stone is still there, and, and the marking is still there on that stone. Yeah, so it's a very evocative thing. You've got a lot of stories like that about the different monuments, about the uh, you know graves or, or unit monuments in particular. Um, it, there, there, there's, there's usually a story to every monument. Uh, what were some of the interesting ones that, that you recall? Well, again, most of the stories it's what JD has done his research for and everything. And so I, everything you know in this book, word, word wise, and stories all are wonderfully uh, written by JD. And really, this is something you know for, for that is something you know. He's done well, and I don't. Honestly, I really don't have a lot of stories on that in my head because I said I'm, you know, I'm not the, the literal type. Yeah, right, he's, not, he's not the person. story man. You're the picture man. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was actually, it was a very good marriage in this in that respect. Wow. Well, you know, and that's uh, uh, and it is impressive. In my own experience, writing um, publishers don't often have the resources to. Uh, help authors with illustrations. The author supplies the illustrations, uh, uh, supplies the maps, or even draws the maps. And you see some books with really dreadful or inadequate maps in them. And uh, uh, the skill it takes to research and write a book is not the skill it takes to uh, uh, draw maps or take photographs or do other visual things. And so you get these uh, these books that don't serve as well in, in that sense. Um, now, since you lived there, did it, how, which of you came up with the, the, how did you come up with the driving tour strategy? Uh, uh, in any tour book, you've got to tell people where to start and stop. Um, right. 
In fact, we're going to stop right now for just a minute. We'll come back with that question. Uh, we'll talk more in just a minute with Stephen Stanley, Civil War mapmaker, on Civil War Talk Radio. Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. The Complete Gettysburg Guide is a book that will tell you where to go, and you'll enjoy it. We'll find out how you get where you're going at Gettysburg when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. My husband and I, we met at a strip mall dance. He was 20, I was 17. It was a beautiful strip mall built by my grandfather after he'd emigrated from Holland to be a farmer. Anyway, when I saw my husband at that dance, I realized I'd seen him before at a big rally at the highway on-ramp for all the men who had enlisted. He was going to war. Two weeks later, he left for basic training. Oh, I cried my eyes out that day. His train left the car dealership. But we rode to each other every day. I rode my bike the ten miles to the high-rise each morning just so I could meet the mail when it got there. Four years later, he came home to me, and we married at the little convenience store downtown. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit nationaltrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Stephen Stanley. He did the maps and photographs for a new book called The Complete Gettysburg Guide, a uh, marvelously uh, illustrated and uh, well-written guide, not only to the Gettysburg National Military Park itself, but to the land around it, the scene of the fighting uh, before and after the battle, the uh, fighting on the third day in the East Cavalry Field, uh, a book with uh, uh, wonderful maps that help you orient yourself to what's going on, uh, really a useful guide, and just a delightful book to look at uh, uh, at home if you're not able to get to Gettysburg. During the break there, we heard uh, the public service announcement uh, regarding preservation, uh, very evocative little piece where we, we hear in an audio sense what happens when historic places disappear. And uh, just this past week, the uh, local uh, Solomons of uh, Central Virginia voted uh, to allow Walmart to build a giant store on the wilderness battlefield, 
um, the, the the need for another Walmart outweighing the need to respect the uh, uh, history and, and uh, sacrifice that occurred at that location, uh, at least in their minds. Uh, I don't know immediately the status of, of what happens next in this preservation fight, uh, uh, what the next steps ought to be, but uh, uh, listeners, uh, Civil War preservation really is an issue that, uh, or any historical uh, preservation is an issue that uh, it's certainly worth uh, all of our, our time to think about and contribute to uh, uh, as we can. Well, returning to the Gettysburg battlefield, which which itself faces the occasional uh, uh, threat uh, from, from short-sighted locals who, who forget why a million visitors come to their town every year and want to build casinos or enlarge uh, Emmitsburg Road, turn it into a highway down the middle of the battlefield. Um, uh, are, are there any current uh, threats to the battlefield these days, Stephen, that you know of? Not as as big as, obviously, the casino was uh, a few years ago. I know the only issue, not really an issue per se, has come, come up is the eventual sale of the old Country Club just out, just uh, west of um, Willoughby Run here on the first day part of the battlefield. That one went under the receivership, I think, and the bank, bank owns it. So, so it's going to go somewhere, but uh, someone's going to buy it, but no one knows who. Is that where we stand? Right, the bank owns it right now because it went up for public auction, didn't get what it was was wanted for it. So now it's actually you know, the bank itself took it. So I'm right now. I'm not sure what is going on with that itself. I haven't seen anything in the paper. So I now I know the the local civil, uh, preservation group, which is the Museum Foundation, Gettysburg Foundation. I'm sorry and Sewer Preservation Trust and the Park Service are watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'm not, again, I'm not sure who's actually you know, going to purchase it. Hopefully, you know, the Park Service will eventually be able to get at least an easement on it to um, protect the battlefield itself right there. Well, we certainly hope they can do that. Speaking of the, the Park Service and its, uh, <coughs> its stewardship of the battlefield, um, I'm curious to know, what is your thought on the uh, new or I guess it'll still be new for a while. The new visitor center, uh, replacing the one that was there for many years in Cemetery Hill. Um, what, what's your take on it? It's a very beautiful uh, visitor center. I mean, it has some wonderful stuff in it. It's great to get the visitor center off the spot. It's now the old one. After we've been here uh, last, last time we heard the old visitor center completely gone. It has been demolished, and there's grass growing there. They haven't taken all the parking lots out yet, but the visitor center is gone. But the new one has some wonderful things in there, a nice you know, gift shop, and the museum itself is wonderful. But myself personally, I really love is the restored cyclorama that's in the uh, visitor center. They, they did a beautiful job of restoring that cyclorama. Ah, and, and that's a highlight of any visit to, to see the, the great cyclorama. Is the old cyclorama building still there? I know there was some issue trying to get rid of it. Yes, the building is still here. And it's fenced off right now, so you get around it. But it is still there, and I think it's still in the courts. I know there's a, a sort of a meta-preservation issue of preserving the, the architecture of the Cyclorama building, the history of the 1960s, uh, on a battlefield from the 1860s. It gets kind of 
almost surreal. Uh, but yes, it does. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see what they're able to do with that. Well, the, I mean, for all of those who view the world as going to hell in a handbasket and everything's getting worse all the time, uh, one only has to look at photographs of Gettysburg uh, 20 or 30 years ago uh, when there were more shops and stores on the battlefield, when the visitor center was on Cemetery Hill, when the uh, the hideous tower uh, loomed over everything uh, since the 1970s. Uh, all those are gone now. The when, when there used to be electric lines along the uh, Emmitsburg Road that are now underground, um, uh, the things really do look more... Uh, uh, better than ever in a lot of ways. And uh, the, the cutting of the forest in the last few years has also dramatically changed the appearance for the visitor. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially around um, the Devil's Den, the uh, Triangle Field area itself there. If you were here just three or four years ago and you come back now, it's a dramatic change. You know, people wonder where all the trees went or where they went to, and they're gone because this opened up such a big vista. You can actually see from... Uh, Devil's Den all the way over to Emmitsburg Road now at, at certain points in there. Cause, so you get to see exactly how the, what it looked like when the soldiers were coming through. Before, when the forest or the woods were there, you know, you didn't know why they, they had guns pointing there. Why are the guns were pointing there? So why did they attack through there? Because it was wood. They didn't, you know, in your mind said it was wood. Now you know why they did. Yeah, you don't have to clear those those woods off mentally. They're they're actually right. gone. It looks the way it did in 1863. Right, it really gives you a much clearer picture, and that's. Uh, I know that was controversial for some people for the Park Service to be cutting those trees, but uh, from a historian's point of view, it's a it's a great improvement. So, yeah, they've uh, also added quite a few trees too, because they've been planting the historic orchards and woodlots back in. It's, they're not there now, so they're planting those. So they they're doing both. They're taking trees down, but also um, putting trees back. Uh, well, that that gives a uh, again in both cases a better sense of what uh, what the battlefield looked like. Uh, mm-hmm. The um, one of the, the things that your your book has made me eager to do next time I go back is uh, visit in more detail the the East Cavalry Field. Uh, that's a part of the battle that that, that visitors really don't know anything about uh, it seems to me you can visit many times and not follow it um, the the impression the little I, impression I had of it was is that it you've got to drive along these narrow two lane roads and park your car and risk being uh, uh, run over by the next car uh, to see a lot of that stuff right uh, is, is that accurate yeah it, it is I mean the park roads through there are fairly narrow it's maybe like a, a car and a half width so you know you, you have another car approaching you. There's, there's two. It's a two-way road, probably. You know, but you know you you have to cars coming your way. You have to get off the road a little bit on one side so you can both pass each other. So, but it's so, not very. It's not that well traveled, so it's not that dangerous on the park road itself, going right through the middle of the battlefield. And, now, and most people. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would say most people. Don't go out there. Most people don't even realize it's there. We do have signs for it, and it, it, it is on the park maps and all, but a lot of people don't visit it. We're hoping, again, the book will take people out there. And also, we were that's why we have um, stuff on the Battle of Hunterstown in there to help highlight that battle itself. That's an important part of the battlefield itself. Nobody goes out there. Nothing's protected out there. Yeah, sometimes uh, 
it's not something you'd want to count on, but the, the, the doctrine of sort of hiding in plain sight. Um, there are Civil War sites uh, outside of Gettysburg and in other places around the country that are actually quite well preserved because they're not protected. They're, they're just so remote, no one's bothered to develop them. Um, now, if a lot of visitors went out there, one wonders if somebody would say, oh, here's a good place for a McDonald's. Um, and the next thing you know, they're building on the, the site. But you know, Development doesn't really just come as in commercial development, too. Um, a lot of times, the, some of the biggest risks to battlefields are actually uh, residential development, because it's a nice big field there, and mm. the you know, and, and you don't blame the people, the farmers, uh, the family who's owned the field, to trying to you know make money off of their their family investment. When someone comes in, developer wants to put you know sixty five homes on that field. You know, you shouldn't blame them. But again, it's still if it's a civil war battle happened on there, it's really it needs to be thought about differently. Hunterstown is again one of those things that the main part of the battlefield is still threatened. It's fortunately the I guess the um, the economic downturn has, has hurt the developer who wants to put houses on that main part, who has the option for it, who wants to put houses on that main part of the battlefield, but nothing, nothing's come of that, thank goodness. But, you know, it's still wait and see what happens if someone does get to go in and preserve part of it. But it's really all of it, not as, all just commercial development, it's friends, it is residential, too. And, and you make a, a good point in your book as you describe some of these sites, especially the ones outside of uh, the, the National Park, um, that a lot of the sites you, you photograph or map and describe are on private property, and uh, visitors are you know, welcome to pull their car off the road and look uh, onto someone's property, but don't, don't trespass, don't go walking in without permission. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, no, but you said uh, some of the property owners were very uh, welcoming to you when you were putting this book together. Yeah, they were. I mean... Some of them didn't realize what you know the history on their property, too, you know, or at least as much history on their property, you know, as happened. And we've had some, you know, invite us into their house, houses and take pictures inside, and this has never made into the book. But we got to go into some of the houses that you know were here at the time of the battle at our in Fairfield, and we get to go and explore them and talk to them, and, and we actually would. You know, would um, show them images and photos and t- the maps and show them this happened right here in your front yard, and they were you know extremely excited about that. Wow, uh, that that uh, now some of the Gettysburg landowners know very well what happened. Um, you know, uh, Professor uh, Gabor Borat at the the college, who's written a great deal, uh, written a wonderful book on the the Gettysburg Address, uh, lives, uh, I guess, right on Seminary Ridge or in that area. Um, in a house that was used as a hospital during the battle, and, and uh, uh, as he's an example of somebody who lives there and knows just what what went on. But I suppose there must be people who don't know, uh, uh, or perhaps don't even care, uh, uh, what happened right there. Well, some of it I don't think is that really don't know, don't care. Is maybe they know a little bit, but not really the extent of what happened on their property because they might not be into history. They just happen to own a house. You know, by the house that was, you know, here or was passed down by from to the family too to them. So some of it is, you know, they just don't realize it. And well, well, if they get this book, they will realize it. Um, yeah, we're at yeah. we're at the end of our time, unfortunately. But Steve, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And listeners, it's been a, it's been a 
Okay, sorry. I just tell the listeners you will not want to miss the complete Gettysburg Guide by J. David Petruzzi with maps and photography by Stephen Stanley. Uh, it's a beautiful book and will take you to Gettysburg in your mind's eye. And when you go to Gettysburg, you'll want a copy with you. So listeners, get that and listen next week to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.